Good morning, new community. My name is Timothy White. It is my pleasure to be with you today. I want to welcome you all here, those who are watching online, those who are watching in the fellowship hall. I'm grateful to be with you today. I'm actually going to start today by reading the passage. I'm actually going to be throwing a lot of scriptures at you today. So I want to start there. The main passage for today is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And I'll start reading. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so I want to begin talking to you today about our sermon series. We've been talking about fixing our eyes on Jesus. And all of the speakers who came before me, we've all been talking about this theme and pointing out different aspects of Jesus and who he is. And I'm actually going to park there today because when we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus, obviously we have to ask the question, well, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What do we actually believe about Jesus? There is a right answer to that question because what we believe about Jesus matters. It absolutely matters whether he's just a good teacher or he is who we are going to talk about today. A little background, if you're new to Bible study and understanding Jesus, I want to give you a little background. All of us speakers, we've been teaching from the Gospels, right? There are four Gospels. If you've got a printed copy of the Bible, they're the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
and the Gospels are eyewitness accounts. These are men who walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, sat with Him, listened to His teaching. They have been with Jesus, and they are recording under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what has happened, what Jesus has done. And they all had their different personalities, right? So, you know, you've got Matthew and Luke, they're a little bit more detailed, so they start off like Matthew starts with a genealogy. Here's the lineage of Christ leading up to Abraham, right? And then Luke, you know, he starts with the birth narrative. So that's where you get the announcement of the Christ that is to come. And, and Matthew also has a brief birth narrative. Mark does not have a birth narrative. Mark to me is like action. Mark just jumps in and he's ready to go. Jesus shows up, he's healing people, he's casting out demons. It's like that person you talk to that's got a lot to tell you, they just don't have a lot of time. That's, that's what Mark feels like, because he's always talking about immediately. Jesus did this, he healed somebody, and immediately, at once, it's like, he's just gotta go, so. And then there's John, the passage that we're coming from today. John writes in a very different uh, way. So the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're known as the synoptic gospels. In other words, they follow a certain sequence of events in the life of Jesus. So you can actually put them side by side and compare them. We always did that in seminary, right? But John is very different. He doesn't start with a birth narrative. He doesn't go there. He said, no, let me take you a little further back, okay? And from this, and we're gonna look at this passage in John chapter one, and I wanna give you three main points today or observations that I want you to walk away with. The first one, Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. Going back to John chapter one, verse one, he begins, in the beginning was the word. That Greek word is logos. You know, you hear the word logo in there, right? Logos, he is the word. If you think of word, how we use words, what are we doing? We're expressing our thoughts, our intent, our personality, all of that. What is saying? Jesus is the expression of God. So if you want to know what God thinks, what God feels, God's character, God's heart, all of that, that's Jesus. He is the full expression of deity, right? Not partially get some of it right. No, he is the total expression of deity. It says, and the word was with God. And the word was God. So we hear his divinity, says he's with God, he is God. Okay, hold on a minute, what's going on? So this is gonna be heavy on doctrine today, okay? What we believe as Christians, right? Jesus is God, right? Um, and we see he's with God. He's identified with in the beginning God, Genesis chapter one, right? In the beginning God, Jesus is absolutely identified there. So he's present. So if you're thinking about Jesus and you begin with the birth narrative, he doesn't start there, okay? He is eternal, okay? Without beginning, without end. He's not a created being. He didn't just show up yesterday. He is eternal. And this passage actually gives you a, a little glimpse into a doctrine of the church we call the Trinity, right? You may have heard that. I'll explain it briefly. I only have a short time, so, you know, I can't unpack this whole thing. But <laughs> the Trinity, in the simplest form, the way we express it is God eternally existing in three persons. So there's one God completely unified, but within God, there are distinct persons. They are all co-eternal, co-powerful, uh, all-powerful, co-equal. 
And so this is actually one of the passages among many where we begin to see a glimpse of a triune God. Now, you can't search the Bible and find the word Trinity, okay? It does not exist in the Bible. Trinity is a theological word that we use to label what's being described. So in other words, when you read the Scriptures, these three, Father, Son, and Spirit, keep showing up together, and they're operating together. And this is why I like the way John writes, because as we see later in John, and I can't go there, I, I would encourage you to read John, but if you want to understand the relationship, Jesus is always talking about the Father. And then he starts, he'll also talk about the Spirit and his relationship with the Father and the Spirit and how they're one and they operate as one. He is divine. It keeps getting better. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He's identified here as the creator. Go back in the beginning, God. And then God says, let there be. That's Jesus right there. If I could describe, Jesus is the let there be. He is, he is the full expression of God, of divine intent and purpose and character. So you see, he's God in creation, right? Let there be. He spoke the worlds into existence out of nothing, meaning there was nothing. Nothing. Okay? And he says, let there be. And it shows up simply because he said so. He is creator. Here's why I'm focusing on this as we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because our understanding of Jesus must be rooted in truth. You know, sometimes we talk about Jesus. Remember Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, well, who do, who do men say that I am? You know, what are, they what are they saying about me? Well, some say a prophet, you know, some say, you know, Elijah, uh, things like that. And he says, who do you say that I am? And, you know, Peter, you know, boldly states, well, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus, stop right there. Y'all hear that? Say that one more time, Peter. No, he didn't say that. I'm, I'm getting, you know. But that's my interpretation, right? Say that one more time, brother. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, humans have not revealed that to you. So what I'm getting at is we need to have an understanding of Jesus that does not come out of self. Right? We need an understanding of Jesus that doesn't come out of me. And I'll talk about that a little later. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is creator spoke the world into exi uh, existence. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has, or darkness has not overcome it. I want to skip down. Um, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And there's, there's, there's this conversation about light and darkness. What you need to understand that Jesus is God, he is holy, he is pure, he is all of those things. We also need to have the understanding of ourselves that all of humanity is in darkness. So this goes back to Genesis chapter 3, what we call the fall, or we might say original sin, right? All of humanity is in darkness, right? 
Jesus is coming as the light to all mankind, okay? He's not a light. He's not one light. He's not, well, there's Jesus and, you know, Buddha's got some good stuff to say and, you know, and there's some other people that I can glean from. No, he is the light. What I'm saying, that he's exclusive. I'm sorry. Jesus will not share space with anybody. I'm sorry. Our culture tells us that. He's, you know, I, I can glean from Jesus and, and, you know, Martin Luther King did some good. Stop right there. I'm all about justice, thank God. But don't you dare put Martin Luther King in the same sentence with Jesus. I appreciate the brother, but don't get it twisted. He is the light coming into the world. He is God. Then he, he goes on, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. I know New King James says uh, the only begotten, right? Uh, the Greek word there is, is called monogenes, and what it means is one of a kind, unique. In other words, there's nobody like Jesus, right? And so when we start talking about Jesus, that is the place we have to start from. He's not like anybody else. He's unique. He is God in flesh. Let me make sure I'm keeping my time right. Okay, I want to show you a few other passages, actually, that talk about this. Most of them will be up here, but there are some that I'll just lightly reference. John 1, 23, that's uh, where it talks about the, excuse me, I actually got the wrong, um, that should be, I'm sorry, one second, that actually should be probably, Ma I think that's Matthew, sorry. Matthew 1, 23, it's not, it's not up there, Matthew 1, 23. Uh, where it's announced that you will call his name Emmanuel, translating God with us, okay? There's one passage that talks about his deity. John chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. That should be up there. You know, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, right? And verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things, so he healed somebody on the Sabbath. They didn't like that, okay? The Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, that brings us to the term son of God, which connotes that relationship with the father. Why do the Pharisees have a problem with Jesus? Well, you have to, have to know their understanding. Father, son, here's the thing. The son had all rights, had access to all the rights and privileges that the father had. So in human terms, everything that the father owned belonged to the son, right? The son stood to inherit everything. The son would have the same authority over his father's possessions as the father, and Jesus calls God his father. You understand what's happening here. You understand why they're a little ticked off. How can you claim to have that kind of relationship with God? 
That's blasphemy. But what is Jesus doing? He's revealing who, exactly who he is. John 8, 58. Once again, he's disputing with the Pharisees. And talking about Abraham, Jesus says, well, you know, uh, Abraham was excited. To, he rejoiced to see my day, and uh, he saw it and was glad. And they're like, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. How, how can you talk about Abraham, which is generations before? Uh, and Jesus makes this statement in John 8:58: before Abraham was, I am. And it said they picked up stones to stone him. Why do they have a problem with this? This is a reflection, an echo from Exodus 3.14 at the burning bush, right? Where God is talking to Moses and God is saying, you're gonna go to Pharaoh, you're gonna go to my people, I'm gonna lead you. And then Moses is like, well, well, when I go, who should I say has sent me? And then God is like, tell them that I am sent you. So the passage, Jesus is identifying himself with that. And these are people, they know the, the text. They know the scriptures, they're steeped in this. They can quote it verbatim and he uses this word, this phrase intentionally. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Uh-uh, bro, that ain't gonna work for us. And they try to kill him. Let me keep moving. Now, you know, I gotta pause because I get excited about this stuff and I only got so much time. So, you know, all right. This should also be up there, Colossians 1. 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. What it's saying, you want to know what God looks like? Jesus is exactly that. Remember in John 14, Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus, have I been with you so long? You don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, he's not saying, understand the triune God. He's not saying that he is the Father. Here's the thing. They're distinct persons, right? Jesus is not the Father. Uh, the Father's not the Spirit, okay? But they work in concert together. They're one. They're completely unified. And he is the full expression of that. I do want to say one more thing. As we identify Jesus in creation, as we go to the Old Testament, you have to understand that their unity there is no breach in their unity. There is no disagreement. So yes, even when you go in the Old Testament and you come to passages that you don't like, that kind of scare you, where God is dealing out judgment, let me tell you something. Jesus is not standing on the side saying, you know what, I didn't sign up for this. You have to understand. Jesus is not standing there while I was voted down. When the flood came, Jesus gave the order. No, I, I, need you to, I need you to stay with me. This is the holy God here. When fire rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus was right there. And he was not protesting. They are one, unified. You've got to see, as we talked about, the holy God. All right, I'll keep reading. Verse 16 of Colossians 1. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. 
He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the, here we go, fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him were the things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And these are just a few. There are many more, but I hope you're getting the picture, one, that Jesus is divine. A brief, brief reference, Colossians 2, verse 9, it's not up there. It simply says, in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in human form. So if you reflect back on each story uh, that others have talked about in previous weeks, I hope you're getting the message. This dude ain't from here. He, he, he's otherworldly. He is the full representation of God in human form. Ooh, that's exciting. That brings me to my second point. Jesus became like us. Jesus became human, a man. We've already seen that in John 1.14, the Word became flesh. Here's another theological term that I'm going to throw at you. Called the, we call it the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Meaning, this talks about the natures of Jesus. He is fully God, fully man. He's not a demigod. He's not a fusion between some weird fusion between. No, fully divine, fully human. How do I know he's fully human? Well, he became flesh. This is when I switch over to Matthew and, and, and Luke, which talk about the birth narrative, the nativity, right? And Jesus comes as a baby. Now, just let that sit with you for a moment. The God of the universe who created everything steps into his own creation. He comes as a baby. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, acknowledging his deity, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So he's fully God, yet what he does is he lays down his, his divine privileges, right? And he puts on flesh, but he's still God, he's still human. Here are some examples of Jesus' humanity. For one, he came as a baby, right? And he grew up, right? We see Jesus eating, right? You, you see, we see Jesus sleeping. A few weeks ago, um, Emily talked about uh, Jesus in the boat and the storm arose, right? And uh, it said that Jesus was sleeping. The brother was tired. He 
was wore out. You know, and I, I kind of had my own imagination of that, that scene. You know, okay, I'm going to take some liberties. Don't be mad at me, okay? Don't leave the church. But, you know, uh, Jesus is knocked out. That's what black folks say. He was knocked out, straight up, right? He's tired. Disciples come waking him up. And you know how you are when you wake up, you know, Jesus is sleeping. <laughs> He's doing all that. He's getting the drool off his face. And, you know, I, I tell my kids they do that fish face when they wake up. They're stretching it. That's what I call the fish face, right? Jesus is waking up and like, what is going on? Disciples are like, Lord, don't you care that we perish? And I'm like, Jesus is looking around like, y'all woke me up for this? Really? Okay. And then this is my interpretation, okay? I know it's not what the text says. Then Jesus just gets up and says, look, hey, hey, shut up. I'm trying to sleep. All right, I had a little fun with that, you know. You have to add a little personality in here, you know. You don't get that from the, from the text. But he's human. I mean, you see his divinity and his humanity in the same passage. He's tired, he's sleeping, and then he gets up and tells the winds and waves to shut up. And what I love about that passage, you thought you were afraid of the winds and the waves. It said, imagine going from being afraid to being completely terrified. It says the disciples, they're like, you thought the we ain't worried about no winds and waves. Who is this dude that the winds and waves obey? They were terrified. I'm like, get me off this boat. I don't care. I got to get off. Who is this dude? So I, I need you to see that glimpse. It's beautiful. He is God and he's man. Okay? Fully human. We see Jesus drinking. We see Jesus walking and talking, fellowshipping with people, hanging out, spending time. This is our Lord. We see Jesus listening to people, meeting them where they are. In other words, God is tangible. You can touch him. You can see him. You can hear him. That's what Jesus did. He made the living God tangible, visible. We see in John 2, Jesus is celebrating. He's at a wedding. And I'm meditating on this. You have the God of creation who created us, made us male and female. He performs this, the wedding ceremony of Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2.24, he says, for this reason, a, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two become one. This is the creator at a wedding celebration, enjoying the union that he created, that he names. Just wow. Powerful. The word became flesh. And there are so many examples that we can point out. We see Jesus' pain, Jesus grieves. Lazarus dies and Jesus is weeping. He feels what we feel, right? Like, I love Hebrews chapter 4, 15. And Hebrews is a very good book. We don't know who the writer is, but Hebrew, Hebrews really breaks down the sacrifice of Jesus and how he's the high priest and, 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 and what he's done for us. And it talks about, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one 
who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So just as we experience temptation, so does he. He experienced it. Grief, pain, the feeling of rejection and hurt, he felt it. We're going to take communion today and we reflect on the cross. He feels, even before going to the cross, feeling it. Father, not my will, but yours be done. But he's feeling the anguish of what he's got to do. And that brings me to my third and final point or observation. That passage we were at before, it said that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus is God, he became like us fully human, but there's one thing we need to remember. Jesus is not like us. And this is where it gets uncomfortable. Jesus became like us, but he's not like us. We are sinful, he is sinless. And there is a temptation, especially in our culture, that is all about me, right? People are making millions of dollars writing books telling us, here's how you become a bigger, better you by looking at you. Okay? All you need to do to be a powerful human, stand in the mirror, tell yourself every morning, I am amazing, I am powerful, I am enough. It's all about me. You build your world. Look deeper in you to find the God or goddess in you. That's what you need to unleash. In fact, Jesus kind of came to show us the way to do that, right? Talk a little bit more about that. What am I saying? There's a temptation to make Jesus act and think like us. He fits our mood. He fits our desires. He fits where I want to be. Let me give you an example. It, it still grieves me, but I think it's a very good example. I was listening to a minister who, unfortunately, it pains me to say this, he's deviated from orthodox biblical truth. He, he's on his own thing now. But he made this statement that stuck with me. And I think it's, it, it's relevant to what I'm talking about right now. He said, you know, Jesus, you know, like the peak of his ministry before he left, he was only 33 years old, you know. And I remember how I was at 33. I remember how I thought. And I'm 65 years old now, and I'm still learning. Now, Maybe when you first hear that, it's like, okay, but you need to understand why his statement is so blasphemous. Because what he just did is he lowered Jesus 
and put them down on our level. Okay? Jesus, here's what he said. Well, I'm only, I was only, I know how I thought at 33. Jesus is just as flawed as I am. Jesus might be a little imperfect. Jesus, there were things he needed to learn, grow in, you know? Now, we hear that and we might say, oh no, I wouldn't say that. But I have a question. What does your life actually say? We sing all these beautiful songs about bowing down before our Lord. But I got to ask you, what does your life actually communicate? You can sing, bow before my king all day, but your life is going to tell me what you really believe. Our lives are going to tell us what we really think. In my life, am I really saying that he's all that? Or when it comes to certain parts of my life, no, I get to decide how this goes. It's about to get more uncomfortable. How is it we can reverence him as God in creation and the oceans and the, the rivers and the mountains and all of that, but somehow when it comes to me, somehow I'm now in the position where I could decide what my life is. We do it in all things. I don't know areas like human sexuality, just to name one. Instead of looking to what the Creator has said, you made me, I'm saying, no, these are my desires, these are my attractions, these are my experiences, this is what I want to do. And God just kind of comes along and blesses it. See, this is where, and we, this is kind of hinted at in some of the other, other uh, messages, but this is when we start creating a false Jesus. We start crafting a Jesus that looks like me. And as we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus and why I said it's important that we get Jesus right, because you might say that you're fixing your eyes on Jesus, but what Jesus are you really fixing your eyes on? Is he a Jesus that you have crafted? He's cool with what I do. And here's what happens. We might use all the right words of love and grace, but when we're in that zone where I made Jesus like me, all of those terms get redefined. So when I talk about Jesus loves me, here's what I really mean. Jesus approves of me. Jesus affirms me. Jesus is in agreement with me. Let me tell you something about the love of God. The love of God does not mean approval. I'm talking about this so hard because that's exactly where our culture is and that mentality is in here. We think that because God loves me, he doesn't care what I do. He doesn't care what I think. He doesn't care what I say. Jesus is cool. We've got the buddy, buddy Jesus. He's got nothing negative to say to me, right? It's false. And that Jesus can't save you. You can talk about that Jesus all day. He's not going to do anything for you. Grace becomes, well, God really doesn't care about my sin. Oh, don't worry. God is just kind of, oh, I didn't see that. God's winking. I, I didn't see that. Don't even worry about it. I want to explain grace. 
and then I'll be wrapping up. Let me give you just an example of grace. It's a smaller example, but I think it, it, it communicates a larger truth. If President Biden, maybe he came in here or he's somewhere else or whatever, you know, President Biden shows up, right? We know that all of the presidential protocols will go into place, right? Because we have an understanding of what he represents, his authority, his position. Makes sense, right? Now, what if I decide as Tim White, I'm a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen, and I'm going to go talk to my president? I'm going to approach him because I have a right to. We all know what would happen, right? I would not have access because of who he is and what he represents. So two things would have to happen. There's only two ways that I can actually get that audience with him. The president would have to do something. The president would have to say, oh, Tim, come, come here. Or the president would have to come to me. Here's the point. And this is what we have to understand about Jesus. He is the almighty God that in and of ourselves we have no access to. I have no right to approach you. You hold all the power. You are holy. I'm sinful. I can't come to you. So two things have to happen. God has to do something. God has to call me or God has to come to me. What I'm showing you that's beautiful in this text is the holy God who is pure and hates sin. We are sinners. We have no access. Comes to us and calls us. So Jesus, the word made flesh, shows up on the scene, God in flesh. And as we saw with Peter last week, I believe, when Mickey spoke, where his response to Jesus was, you know what? Get away from me. I'm sinful. And Jesus doesn't respond to that. You want to know why? Because that is the appropriate response to Jesus. And I will suggest to you that if you haven't had that experience with Jesus, if he hasn't scared you, if there's nothing about Jesus that makes you say, no, I'm unworthy, I got to tell you, you haven't encountered Jesus. It's hard to hear, but you got to hear it. You have not encountered a Jesus that hasn't checked you, he hasn't challenged you, he hasn't gotten in your mess. If you don't see Jesus, you are so unlike me. Here's why that's important, because if I don't understand that before him that I have no right, I can't appreciate his grace when he says, no, come. Come. It's okay. Come. Are you seeing the power of who Jesus is? Let's not make the mistake of shaping Jesus in whatever I want according to my desires, what I feel like doing today. Lord, help us to see you for who you are. Help us to be just like Peter he said, I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I think that's a great 
place to pivot as we begin to prepare for communion. Now look at the cross, and the cross shows you what God feels about sin, what God feels about us. And it's important that we see the love of God for us, that it's based on the value that God has placed on us. Hear me, this is important. Because when we're caught up in ourselves and we shape a false Jesus, the love of God, God loves us not because of the value he's placed on us. No, God loves me because of the value I've placed on me. I've said, this is who I am, what I'm about, all of this, and Jesus, I just need your approval. No. The beauty of the cross, it shows us that we're sinful, but God loves us so much. Love moves, it is action, okay? Love is not just some cozy feeling I think about you. Love is action. Love is a parent pulling a child out of the way of a car coming at 60 miles an hour. That is love. And that's what God did for us on the cross. You're in danger, you're lost, but I love you so much, I'm not gonna let you stay there. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Let your word be true. Convict us today that we might be transformed. Remember that, church, Jesus is divine. He is God. He is the creator. He became like us. He put on flesh but he's not like us. And with that being said, let's prepare our hearts for communion. As the servers come up, if you're at home, take the time to prepare your elements. If you're in the fellowship hall, there are elements there for you as well.